So we started a series on men and women of the Bible. And so two weeks ago, we talked about uh, Adam as, as kind of the prototypical man. And we talked a week ago about Eve as the prototypical woman. And we, we talked about how they had different but, but uh, roles that complemented one another within the context of marriage, that the, the unique things that are, are in a man and in a woman are valuable and important, not something for us to try and level out, but something that we want to celebrate. And we, we stepped back and we talked about the reality that, that God has made us all very different and, and that we bring to the church a lot of differences that when it comes together, it creates this beautiful uh, collage or picture or body. We talked about it in terms of the metaphor of the body, but, but there are a lot of ways to, to say that the fact that you're different and I'm different and we're here together is good. This week, we're going to look at another character of the Bible, pretty popular in, in children's books, but when you begin to look at the, the narrative, it's, it, it begins a little bit dark, but, but there's light and there's hope at the end of it. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6, looking at, at Noah. We're going to read, I, I said that we were not going to read a long swath of text, but here we are, we're going to read a long swath of text. <laughs> I read it beforehand though, so hopefully I won't mess it up. I make no promises. If you could stand with me, we're going to read together Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. We're going to do this together. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. He walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them all with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us to be open and uh, submissive to your word in a in a story that sometimes we relate to as a, a, a happy children's tale, when we begin to look at what your word actually says, it's, it presents a pretty dark situation. And Lord God, we can, we can shy away from the darker, difficult truths of the Bible, but I pray that you'd help us to, to handle this with honesty, um, knowing that, that even in the, in the midst of, of this type of situation, you are still a good God. Father, I pray that you would help us to see the light that you provide in the darkness, the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, prefigured 
in Noah and present to us. Help us to see, to appreciate, to put our faith in the God who saves, the God who provides a way out. Lord God, help us to be honest, help us be, to be faith-filled, and help us to be fruitful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for reading with me. So, again, when, when, when we think about Noah, I think there's, there's songs about Noah and there are pictures and, you know, there, there are churches whose buildings are built by, to, to, to look like an ark and, and this is all nice and good, but the reality is Noah existed because there was a problem in the world. If we look at verse 5 of chapter 6, it says that the Lord saw that the wickedness, was man, of, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now, he could have just stopped there, and, and we would have said, yeah, yeah I, can, I can relate to that. I can understand that. You know, there's brokenness in the world. There are wicked people in the world. But, but the writer of Genesis, is, he, he goes through a lot of effort to describe the depth of the depravity of humanity. And he says that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I mean, it, you know, if, if, if someone was trying to nail something down, you could say, well, that guy's not a, guy, not a nice guy. If you were trying to describe someone as, as being wicked, you might say, that, you know, that person is evil, but not only evil, all the time, continually. I mean, this is, this is a kind of a depressing situation. And, and the other part of it is that it's a, it's a difficult situation for, for us to swallow. I mean, I was reading this and I'm thinking to myself, really, God? Was it that bad? Was it that bad? Uh, and, and the other part of this is that up to this point, Genesis has been, well, we hit Genesis 3 where there's the fall and, and there's uh, bad things that have happened. But he says, the Lord saw dot, dot, dot. Now, when had we heard the, the phrase, the Lord saw, before? Genesis 1. The, heaven, the Lord made, I'll, I'll go there really quickly. Genesis 1, chapter 10, he says this, is the first one. God called the dry land earth and the waters, or maybe it was before that, but anyways. Uh, the waters were gathered together, he called seas, and God saw that it was what? Good. Good. Verse 11 continues. Um, Sorry, verse 12. And God saw that it was good. Verse 18. And God saw that it was good. And verse 21, he goes on to say, creating all the things, and he said, God saw that it was good. And then he makes man, and, uh, and he says, or the animals, and he says, God saw it was good. And then he makes man and woman. And in verse 31, he says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And so here in chapter, just, just five chapters later, five chapters later, he's looking at humanity and he saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. He goes on to say in verses 11 and 12, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. 
Now, we have to step back for a moment and recognize that whatever you and I think of the world and about our level of wickedness, I mean, that's not even a word that we like to, 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 to trade in. We don't talk about wickedness. We talk about, you know, negative, positive. That person's a little negative. But, but God has a very clear standard in his word, and according to that standard, man has fallen short, and we are wicked, evil, bad. You know, there's a reason that when Jesus comes on the scene and, and he starts to talk to people and he says, why do you call me a good teacher? Only God is good. Now, Jesus was God and he goes on to talk about that, but, but he was making a real distinction to say that the, everyone in the world is bad according to God's standard. Now, that's not to say that you are as bad as you possibly could be or that you are as bad as your neighbor, but don't, don't do that right now. <laughs> Don't play, don't play that game. But he says that, that there's wickedness and the earth was corrupt in God's sight. God is able to make this assessment and we have to reckon with his assessment because who's in charge? God. You know, I can go into an organization and say, you know, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And they can look at me and say, who on earth are you? You know, I, if I go to McDonald's and say, guys, you need to ship up. The, the floor is messy. You know, you need to do a tight, you know, button up your shirt, talk to the customers nicer. They'll usher me out like the weirder that I am because I have no authority over that organization. God has authority over his creation. And, and he's able and, and it's in his, in his ability to, to make this assessment. You might disagree with this assessment I struggled with it initially. I still struggle with it when I think about, you know, little kids playing and being happy and nice and people building hospitals and doing good things. And, and certainly there's a way in which we can be kind and good horizontally. But, but God is tapping into something and he's telling us something about the nature of man as we relate to God himself. And, and we can do things that are good this way that are in rebellion to God. You know, you can, you can have a rebellious heart as you obey your parents, teenagers, and clean up your room. You know, you can do a good thing in a way that reveals a heart that is wicked. And adults, we can do the same thing. <laughs> we can honor our spouse or our parents or our employer and do things that on the surface, like, that's a good thing in a, in a way that reflects a heart of hatred. And, and I think what, part of what the Bible's trying to get at here is that if we were put face-to-face -face with God, taking all our good intentions and our good activities, apart from Christ, apart from a relationship with God, all these good things, they still would have a bent in them that is, that is set against God. Does that make sense? So what I'm not saying is that good is bad and bad is good and up is down and down is up. But I am saying that apart from God and his work in our heart, apart from what we see happening in Noah and we see happening through Christ, there's wickedness in the world. And, and I don't want to bring that to you because it's a bummer, especially if you're new, you know, thanks for coming. <laughs> you know, we had a pastor come and talk and he was like, we're going to talk about 
hell and, and giving. It's kind of, kind of how you might feel in this moment. But, but the thing about it is that the, the good news doesn't make any sense unless we understand the context. Right? It's not good news unless we recognize the situation that we're in. So he says that, he says that we're wicked, and not only that, um, every intention of the thoughts of our, their heart was evil only, continually. That's, that's, that's a challenge. And you might say, well, that was before, and then God saved the world through Noah, and, and you know, Noah's line was much more righteous, and it, it says that he's a righteous man, right? But the problem is the breast of the Bible. You know, if you go to, if you go to Psalms, the book of Psalms, chapter 14, it says this. We're going to get to a happy part, but just, this is the part of the, the roller coaster that's going up, and all you see is down, and your doom, and death, and demise. And we're going to come down, and it's going to be fun, okay? Hopefully. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Now, again, that doesn't make sense if we think about the world and the fact that we're in a public school where people are doing good, and, and good is being done on behalf of this community. But when we think about it in terms of what we believe about God, apart from God's work in creation, we are sinners because of Adam and Eve, and, and we are, we're in opposition to God. So as it relates to God versus me, there is no one who does good apart from the work of God. Does that make sense? In, in Jeremiah, it says something similar in chapter 17. You've probably heard this. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses... 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The heart is deceitful above all things. Don't follow your heart, teenagers. Listen to your heart. There's a song that came out when it's... No, don't listen to your heart. Take it from me. Don't listen to your heart. I can tell you from experience, and the Bible will tell you from, from theology, don't listen to your parents, listen to your pastor, and listen to your Bible, right? That's, that's the extent of my singing today, because the wickedness has affected my singing as well. We, we have this problem not only do we have this problem, but the problem of sin affects everything about us. The earth was corrupt, it says in chapter one or chapter six, verse eleven. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with what? Violence. Violence was an expression of the sin and the corruption in the world. And and we can see that now. You know, we, we can see very clearly that, that Adam and or, or Noah and his ark did not prevent us from experiencing brokenness and suffering and violence in the world. I mean, you just have to go on your, your news channel of choice and you'll see that violence permeates our world. Uh, in addition, uh, this sin affects our relationship with God. The Lord was sorry, it says in verse six, sorry that he'd made man and it grieved him in his heart. Our sin grieves God. My sin grieves God. Your sin upsets God. 
Now, that is not to say that God doesn't love us as we see. He certainly acts out of love, but we have to recognize that the reason he has to act out of love in a redemptive manner is because he has been grieved. He's been hurt emotionally. He's been upset. He's got a plan and a purpose and a, and a, and a way that we ought to live, and we've said, no, I don't want to do that. The people in Noah's time had said, no. You know, he had told them to be fruitful and multiply, and they, they had stayed together, and, and they were not obeying, and they were not doing the things that they were supposed to do. Sin affects our relationship with God, and it affects the world around us. It says that the earth was corrupt, and, and what God doesn't do, he's, he, doesn't just, he doesn't just judge in this moment those individuals. He judges the whole earth. Our sin impacts our community. Our sin impacts our environment. I don't want to be, you know, turn this into something strange and say, you know, we need to go save the planet. But there is an aspect of our brokenness that affects the way we relate to the environment that God has placed us in. The fact that we don't care to steward what God has given us because we don't honor God for who he is. These are the negative effects of sin. The, the point I'm trying to make is that God takes sin seriously. And that has not changed. Now the manner in which he addresses us and deals with us has changed because of Christ. But, but his disposition towards sin has not changed. And, and our fundamental makeup has not changed. Now God has leavened the world through Christ and through his, his people. And so we talked about being salt and light in the world, and that is a real thing. So I, I imagine it could be substantially different than it was in Noah's time, because in Noah's time, there was Noah and his family. But here now we have Christians in, in Europe, in Asia, in South America, in North America, in, in Australia, in all the other places. And so, so the goodness of God is being brought forth in these communities but that doesn't change the fact that the heart apart from Christ, your neighbor, maybe you apart from Christ, have a heart that is wicked, intentionally in opposition with God. But the good news is that although God takes sin seriously, God is more gracious than he is angry. God is gracious. You know, sometimes when you, if you were, if you were to read this, and, and I would encourage you to do it this, this week, if you were to read this, you might step back and say, why are you so upset, God? You know, why are you so bent out? Why don't you just, why don't you just make them better or, or help them to do better? Let's rehabilitate. The problem is, is that we take this completely wrong view of God and we're like, God, it's not that big of a deal. And the problem is, is we don't get to decide how big of a deal sin is. I'll repeat that. You and I, we don't get to decide how big of a, of a deal sin is. Now, this, this analogy isn't perfect because we live in a democracy and we, we as a people, we make rules and laws. But, but on a Monday, if you're driving down the road and a, and a police officer pulls you over... You don't get to say in that moment, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> you can, and in the same way you can say that to God, it won't matter. 
right? The judge's judgment is the judgment that counts. The law is what counts. And God has established a law. And so for us to say it's not that big of a deal is to, it's really to, to minimize God and his holiness and minimize sin. Criminals don't get to tell the judge that he shouldn't judge them. And we, I, we are criminals in God's country. And I'm not talking about North America. I'm talking about the world. But God is gracious. What does it say in verse eight? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, God could, this could have been it. The Bible could have been six chapters. So God sent the flood and started over. And he would have been completely in his right to do so. And he would have been a just God. He would have been condemning people for for breaking the commands that he gave, for, for living outside of relationship with him, for not honoring him for being the God that he is and how he ought to be honored. And he would, have been, he would have been just and righteous and right to do that. But what does he do? He chooses this man, Noah. It says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, if we're not careful, we'll read this and say, oh, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And say, oh, well, God chose Noah because he was righteous. God chose Noah because he was better than his neighbors. God chose Noah because he was, he was doing the right thing. But the problem with that is that if you look at verse 5, it says the Lord saw that the wickedness of man encompassing, encompassing all men and women was great and the, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually except for Noah. Oh, wait, I don't have that. Do you have that? Except for Noah in your Bible? No. He was made of the same stuff that all of his neighbors was, were made of. God, in his gracious kindness, chose someone to be a remnant chose someone to preserve what he had created, chose someone to be a picture of the salvation that would come through Jesus Christ. And then if you read it in that context, you read that Noah was a righteous man, that he was blameless. Blameless doesn't mean that he was perfect. It means that where sin was identified, he quickly repented and turned, that he was one who walked with God. He was walking in relationship with God. His life was reflecting the fact that when God said, you're sinning, you need to repent, he said, I agree, and they stayed in step. And he repented and stayed in step. As opposed to the rest of his generation that when, when sin was identified, when brokenness and disobedience was identified, they walked away from God. Noah walked with God. He was righteous. He was just, upright, devout, He was blameless. He was agreeing with God's assessment. Blameless doesn't mean perfect as much as you admit and agree that you're a sinner. And then you try and do something about it. Noah understood his sinfulness and he turned to God to forgive him and walked in faithful relationship with him. And the obedience that comes is on display as he builds the ark and follows God's commands. See, Noah was favored by God and he was faith-filled and because of that, he was obedient. So if you keep reading, it says that God commands him because the earth is corrupt and he says, make, an, make for yourself an ark, make 
rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside. And he goes and continues to give instruction. And in verse 22, it says this, Noah did this, all that God had commanded him. What it doesn't do is it doesn't describe the process. It doesn't give us a time frame. It doesn't say, okay, he had to build these tools to, to cut down these trees to get the gopher wood, and, and he had his sons go out and get the pitch, which is like the tar stuff, and, uh, you know, they figured out how to do nail. I don't know what they did. I guess pegs, I, you know, I'm not, whatever. Uh, and, and, and it doesn't describe his effort. It doesn't describe the process. It doesn't describe the, the, the getting the materials. It doesn't describe the time frame. The point that the, the writer is trying to make is that Noah was obedient. Right? He said, do all of these things. And the point that he tried to make was Noah said yes. And he did it. He built the ark. And the building of the ark was an act of faith. You've got to imagine that it's an act of faith. You, you, you have your neighbors, and the, the wickedness of the world has not changed, but he's building an ark, and people are looking at him like he's a little crazy. You know, why are you, why are you building an ark? Well, you know, God's going to come, and he's going to judge us all. And, you know, maybe if you pray and ask God to help you as he's carrying his wood, maybe, maybe he'll, he'll find, you know, respond to you, and, and you could come with me. And, and his neighbors are not responding to anything so over the, the length of time that it took eight individuals to build an ark that could fit all of these animals, which is pretty big. I mean, he talks about the size of it. He, he's constantly giving a picture and, and calling people to, to righteousness, calling people, hey, something's about to come. Something is coming. You need to hear and see that I'm doing something different and you, you guys need to get on board. Get on the boat, as it were. Every board of wood, every application of pitch, every step fashioning and carrying the lumber that would become the ark was, was an act of faith and it was, a, it was a, a call to repentance to the people around him. So much so that the, the writer of Hebrews reflects on it and, and he says in uh, chapter, or, yeah, we'll, we'll say that in a second, but uh, in chapter 11, verse seven, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning the events yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He condemned the world, not by saying, you guys are going down, but by saying, you're not responding in faith as you should be, right? When Jesus comes on the, on the scene, he says, you know, for God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I learned that when I was really young in the King James, I apologize. But the point he is, he says, God came to save, Jesus came to save. And then he goes on to say, he did not come to condemn, but if you don't turn, you're already condemned. Jesus didn't need to condemn them. They were already condemned by their unwillingness to respond in faith. And the same thing was true in Noah's time. Noah was providing a very big word picture of their need to get on the boat. And, and he, was, he was calling out for righteousness and they would not resp respond. His obedience was a herald of righteousness. It says in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, if I can find it in my Bible. Chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. I'll start in verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the chains of gloomy darkness to be kept, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Right? He, he was performing a function 
And, and the New, Te- New Testament writers look back on his life and say he wasn't just got a guy who was saving his, his, uh, his, gener- or his family. He was proclaiming something in his actions to the world around him. Now, Christians, when, when you live in a way that honors God, your life ought to be proclaiming something about everyone else's need to get on the boat. Your obedience is a way of telling the world, you got to get on the boat. When you're at work and you, you choose not to enter into those nasty conversations, you choose not to gossip, you choose not to be uh, below a level of integrity in the way you live, you're, you're calling people to get on the boat. And if you don't do those things, you fail to be the herald of righteousness that God has called you to be. This was day by day obedience. Waking up, working on building the ark. Right? We read it and it's like, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. But it didn't just happen. It happened over time. Noah's life was, was conformed to this time period. He was on the ark for about a whole year. On the ark. We don't know how long he was building the ark. But I mean, his life was shaped by the day in, day out obedience that he was, he was walking out. Maybe you're in a situation and you want, you want to see God move. You, God, please do something in my life. You know, I need you to move here. And he might just be holding off and saying, I want to see that day-by-day obedience. I, I, want, I want to create something in you that can only happen as a result of walking day in and day out. You know, teenagers, your parents are going to call you and ask you to do things that make no sense sometimes, and they seem like small, dumb things to you. And what they're trying to do, what they're trying to do is to help you begin to walk out this day in, day out obedience so you don't don't get to be 25 and you don't know how to cook food and you don't know how to live your life and you don't know how to do the things that you have to do. You don't need to come to an adulting is messy panel because you're adulting, because you listen to your parents. We are shaped by our day in, day out obedience. Sometimes we come to church and we're like, give me a, give me a pickup. I want, I want a, a spirit Red Bull. You know, give me a, a, a spiritual energy drink. I need to do this. But in the same way that a, a spiritual, en- a real energy drink is going to just destroy your heart over time, um, if, if you just, if you try to look for these punctuated moments and, and all, the other, all the while you're not obeying, you're going to mess yourself up. Yes, Noah worked out this day in, day out obedience, building the ark loading the ark, living in the ark. I don't even, here's a thought. How did they deal with, deal with all the manure? Yeah. <laughs> Whose job was that? There were eight people. It's probably all their jobs. I mean, it was basically eat, sleep, make sure the manure goes where it's supposed to. You talk about something that's not spiritual. They were poop smiths for a, a whole year. Just well, it sounds silly and funny, but, but it's not funny after, after, you know, one week. It's, it's sort of like when you're, you're excited about, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into the new year. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to read my Bible every day. And you get beyond, like, Genesis, and you're like, this is terrible. <laughs> you know, you get to Leviticus, and you're like, I don't even know why. But there's something that God produces in the faithfulness over time. 
You know, there was a popular thing that came out, and I think when I was growing up, of you know, make sure you have quality time with your with your kids. Make sure you have really good quality time, and and there's not a lot of time to have your kids, so make sure the time that you have is is really quality time. And I think that's true, but I think there's something to be said for consistent quantity time. And this this obedience that that Noah exemplifies, and God calls us to is really, it's quantity time with God. It's walking with God. And it doesn't always feel super spiritual. You know, you wake up, you read your, your passage in the morning that you got from your reading plan because you're not just making stuff up as you go. You pray. Maybe you have that family member that you're praying for every day, a few times a day, and you don't see anything budge. God's doing something in the day by day. Noah's faith was authenticated by his obedience. You know, James puts it, you know, you show me your faith, I'll show you my works. And what he isn't saying is works versus faith, but he's saying that faith is the ground out of which the fruit of works ought to come. And if you don't have fruit coming, if you don't have plants coming, you, you need to look at your faith. God will put you in situations where your living faith must bear the fruit of faithful obedience. God will put you in situations where you are forced to pray and pray and pray and pray and, and you can go to this conference and, and talk to this faith healer or you can talk to this person and, and try to read what this uh, really smart pastor says and God will, he will withhold the solution until you get on your knees and you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray because he's not just interested in this solution that you're interested in. He's interested in forming and shaping something in you through the process. I would, I would venture to say that most of our life is lived in this waiting period. I'm thankful for the punctuated moments of God's grace and favor and mercy and the moments where his miracle just happens in a moment. I'm, I, I be, we believe in that as a church. We believe that God could, in a moment, if you came down to the altar and we prayed for you, if it was God's will, he would heal you right then and there. And we pray and ask God to do that. But sometimes he doesn't. And when that happens, the answer is not to say, well, I guess... I didn't pray right. The answer is to go back to God and pray again. Go back to God and ask again. To trust that God is good and that he wants us to come to him. Noah was obedient. Finally, Noah was a worshiper. After about a year, about 370 days on the the ark, God allows them to come off and he says this, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living creature that is with you, all flesh, dot, 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 and be fruitful and multiply. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping uh, creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When God vindicates you, when God looks at your obedience and blesses you, your response ought to be worship. You know, the, the, the interesting thing about God's economy is that God calls us to obey and then we obey and our temptation to be, 
our temptation is to say, yeah, yeah, I obeyed. But God still is like, well, you know, but God. And you're like, you're right. I worship you, God. You know, and that's not, that's not a bad thing. That's to celebrate what God is doing in and through us. You know, Paul talks about it so often. He says, you know, I, I worked, but it was not I who worked, but God who worked in me. And, and Paul worked. This was a man who, who had, it is very likely that he carried Luke with him because he had so many beatings that, that salve had to be rubbed on his, on his scars. You know, he, he had to struggle to get up in the day and, and, and he had experienced a lot. He was a hardcore Christian. I mean, he was not to be trifled with, not to be messed with. When your handkerchiefs save people and heal people, you got something on you. And he, he had, in one sense, every right to say, I'm kind of a big deal. But instead, he finds himself as the worst of sinners and the one in whom God is at work. And in the same way, when Noah looks at his obedience, all he sees is the fruit of God. And he goes, he's, he's like, you saved me. You, you saved me. And, and my encouragement to you is, is to keep everything in, in its right perspective. You know, and, and, and it, the other side of it is to encourage those around you. So we're in small groups, and small groups are so cool because there are going to be moments in your life where you don't see, because you're in it, the day-by-day thing happening, but the people around you can, can say, I see God at work in your life, and you can both worship God because of it. You see evidences of God's grace. Man, I, I remember last year when we were meeting together and you were struggling in this area and, and you were really praying and asking God and I, I've seen you, you pray and be faithful and, and, and through your obedience, I see God at work and, and I'm able to worship God because of what he's doing in your life. That, as a side note, that's what's available to you in small groups. We, we don't just do it because, hey, we need to you know, have numbers and count things and um, we're a social, no. I want you to be around people who can look at your life and say, I wanna pray for you and then they can say, we prayed and stuff happened and God was faithful and we're able to see the fruit of God's salvation in your life and in my life. Noah was a worshiper. When we see God at work in our lives, it should cause us to worship, not to congratulate ourselves. And if it does cause you to step back and congratulate yourself, one, I would encourage you to consider the love of God because a lot of times we want to congratulate ourselves out of a, a sense of lack and, and it's not so much about being prideful as it is about not appreciating the love of the Father. And the other side of that is, is not appreciating the work of God in your life. God is at work, guys. I'm, I'm so excited to be a part of this church because I know God is at work. I hear testimonies of God being at work. I have the pri- privilege of being up here, but I'm just delivering God's word and God's word is doing the work. You're going to small groups and God is doing the work. You're serving in service teams and God is doing the work. And it gives us an opportunity to worship God. Now, the Old Testament was given in large part to be a picture of what was to come. You know, we see all of these different characters, the kings, the priests, the prophets, and and the reality is we see that they are incapable of ultimately making a lasting change. In Noah, we see that he is incapable of doing anything besides physically saving humanity. And, and even that was as a result of God's, you know, it's kind of like, this is how I'm going to do things. Build an ark, build a big box, or you will also die. 
So he, he didn't do much except for just not die. But all of these picture, people are, are giving us a picture of what Christ was supposed to be in the New Testament. Where, where Noah was bringing salvation through the ark, Christ came to establish his church, which was intended to be a safe haven from God's judgment. You and I were intended to be like Noah, heralds of righteousness, calling out to the world to say, God is a just God, sin is bad, God has made a way through Christ, please repent and turn away. Maybe not in that language, because the world doesn't understand that language anymore, but to say, there is someone who we are all accountable to. There are things that are above us. We are going to be held accountable for our actions and, and there is a way for us to reconnect with the God who made us. Like Noah, we are called to live by faith. Christ has come to build an ark of the church, and we are called to be heralds of righteousness. And like in Noah's time, another judgment will come. So many things in the Old Testament were physical representations of what was spiritually going to happen. It was a physical judgment, people physically died. And there's a second judgment that's, again, I don't love to talk about this, but, but that's, that's what the Bible says. This is, that's the reality that whether or not you or I want to live in that reality, that's the reality that we have. Time is marching on, and it's God's time, his purpose, towards his end. And his end is one in which Jesus comes, and Revelation talks about it in pretty wacky terms, but he's coming with a, a robe dipped in blood, on a horse, a sword coming out of his mouth, eyes of fire, kind of scary stuff. He's not coming as like, shepherd Jesus, long hair, permed, carrying, <laughs> carrying, a, carrying a, a lamb. I don't think he ever came that way, as a side note. But he's definitely not coming back that way. He's coming back to judge you know, we talk about baptism, and baptism is a picture of God's judgment and his salvation. We go down in the water, and we die. But God, in his faithfulness, rises us back up in Christ. That, it's not an accident that that's a picture that God gives us. I have two questions as we close. Well, I have one statement and two questions. The good news is that Jesus has come. He's a better Noah. He's a better ark. He's a better savior. He, his, his grace is greater than our, our depravity. And, and God has offered salvation to all who would put faith in Jesus Christ in his finished work. Not faith in their own ability to do stuff, but faith in him to do what only Christ can do. Now, given the fact that Jesus has come, Christ has come, that God has built an ark in this church, I want to ask you, have you taken seriously the fact that we are sinful? Have you taken seriously, as seriously as God takes it, that, that you and I are sinners? We are disobedient apart from Christ. We are wicked apart from Christ. Not just in, well, I do bad things, but I meant well. No, in our heart. Our heart, you know, when you, you any, any marriage counselor will say, when you say you didn't mean to say that, that's a lie. You, you did mean to say that. And you meant to say it with gusto. <laughs> because our hearts are wicked. Right. Have you taken seriously that you 
are sinful and in need of a savior. And I I put myself in that situation. I want to take sin more seriously than I do in my own life. I want us to take sin more seriously than I do. But, and then have you, this is the good side, have you responded? Because God says, come to me, all who are weary. He says, come. You know, when, when Peter Praise, or when he, when he preaches at Pentecost, he says, you know, this all happened, you guys killed the savior of the world and they freak out appropriately and they say, what, we, what must we do to be saved? He doesn't say, you're out of luck. I came to give you bad news. Now I'm gonna laugh at you. That's not what he says. He says, repent, turn away from all the things that you trusted in before and turn to Jesus Christ. Jesus on the cross looks at these two guys and in and, and one account, the, both, both of the thieves are making fun of him. Both of them are making fun of him. And then in another account, you see one of them saying, you know what, let's be quiet. He doesn't deserve to be up here. And in a moment, that man found favor with God. Not because of what he did, but, but God inter- intersected his life and he was able to see Christ for who he was. And what does Christ say to him? You're gonna be with me in paradise today. He reckoned with how sinful he was and how deeply he needed God, and he trusted. If you're in this room and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is the moment to do it. This is the moment to do it. Let's pray. God, I thank you that that you found favor in Noah, and I thank you that you, through Jesus Christ, offer salvation to all who would have faith and repent. If you're in this room and you have never trusted in Jesus, maybe you've never considered the sinfulness of your own soul, but at this moment you feel the pressure, you feel the weight of God's conviction and you want to respond by putting your trust and faith in God, I want you to raise your hand. Great, once your hand's up, you can put it back down. I want you to pray this with me. God, I trust you. I don't trust myself. I trust you. Jesus, I trust that you made a way for me by your life, your death, and your resurrection. And I ask you to help me to live a life that obeys you. I want to obey you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, family.